Well, happy Mother's Day. I think mothers need a whole lot more than once a year. I mean, once a quarter, minimal, if not once a month. But you know, mothers, wives, they, they need a lot of encouragement, don't they? And boy, do they deserve it. Billy Sunday, the great evangelist, says, Try praising your wife, husbands, even if it does frighten them at first. <laughs> On a church sign outside, it says, If evolution was really true, mothers would have more than two hands. <laughs> How true that is. One mother tells a story about her little boy who was four years old, and the night before he was going to turn five, she says, you know, you're going to sleep a four-year-old, which he could do. He finally mastered the four fingers in the course of a year. But she says, tomorrow you're going to be what? And he says, a handful. And boy, kids can indeed be a handful. Well, I think uh, today we're going to look at the most historic, famous mother of all history. And that is the mother of Jesus, Mary. And what a task she had raising up baby Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, Verse 34 to 38. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? He had told her that she was going to give birth as a young teenage girl, probably. And the angel answered and said to her, Well, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you think that helped her understand? I think she was really scratching her head after that. And then he says in verse 36, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Boy, I think Mary needed to hear that. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Mary was just a teenage girl, and boy, the Lord says to her, I have a task for you, and that task is to be a mother. I think all mothers are given a God-given task, but this was an unusual one because this child that would be born would be Emmanuel, God with us, right? So Gabriel plain out told her, you're going to carry the Messiah. She was stunned. I think she needed to hear, I don't understand a word you just said, angel. You know, the Holy Spirit will come upon me, the Holy One will overshadow me, and I, I, none of that makes any sense, but with God, all things are possible. I can do it. If this is what God's calling me to, then I can do it. 
But boy, I think for all mothers it takes faith to bear a child and to raise a child. But Mary uniquely had to have a lot of faith to confront this challenge. And she had to be uniquely surrendered to the complete will of God, didn't she? Just, here I am. My totality, spirit, soul, and body. I don't understand how this is possible, but I do know with God all things are possible. And here is this surrender. I love that phrase in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. Be it unto me according to your word or according to your will. I, I, I don't know what this means. I don't, you know, when I, I think you're giving birth as a virgin, I don't think it's going to be highly believed. I think it's going to be a very hard task to find a husband after this. I, I, I think it's going to be very difficult as a single mom raising this child. I, I, I think for me, this simple lady from Nazareth to, to, to raise the Messiah? Wow, that must have been an awesome thought press for her. Do you think she was nervous? Certainly. Do you think she was unsure of her abilities? Who wouldn't be? Was she anxious about that part of the prophecy that Simeon would give her that said that eventually this child is going to cause you great pain later on in his adulthood. All mothers like Mary are called by God to be mothers and to see that, see that this responsibility is a calling by God and they raise up their child in the Lord. So really, Mary wouldn't be doing anything different than she would be doing for her other kids. Even though it was a unique moment in time, I don't think she said, well, I raised Jesus one day, one way, he's the Messiah, but I had to be a mother to the other bunch of sinners a different way. I don't think so. But Mary, as a mother, is unique. She had to have this complete surrender, unique walking by faith, a complete commitment to this special plan of God for her in serving. And in it, she stepped up to the challenge. She really did and became a mother worth imitating. However, the second point I want to make is Mary was not a perfect mother. I'm sure that's great news for a lot of you ladies, right? We uh, all want to be the perfect parent, but we also find ourselves coming quite short, especially when they start getting to be junior hires and start pointing out that what you say and what you do are two different things. And it's like, don't question me. <laughs> there was one mom who said, I haven't been a perfect mother, but I'm going to give my daughter a perfect wedding day. And she did everything she could, striving and stressing and spending too much money, doing everything she could. And her part in the ceremony was one simple thing. Her and the other mother were going to walk up and 
light the unity candles. They each light one candle, and then the couple in the middle of the ceremony lights the center candle, and they blow out the other two candles. She had her new dress on. She did everything she could. She had a brand new pedicure. And she goes up to use the lighter, but her acrylic nails were a little too long. And thinking she's lighting the candle, she pulls her hand away to realize it's her fingernail that's on fire. And here's what she said. Trying not to ruin my daughter's big day, I calmly lit the candle from my flaming nail. And then like a gunslinger with a six-shooter, I blew it out. Needless to say, my blackened nail was the talk of the rest of the day. You can try to be a perfect parent, but it's just not going to happen. It didn't happen for Mary either. The first time we see this is when Jesus was 12 years old. There in Luke 2, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem when he's 12, which is in the Jewish culture, a bar mitzvah. And at the bar mitzvah, they say very pronouncedly, you are now a man. And so Jesus had gone up there with all his extended family from Nazareth. And then when they all returned, Mary and Joseph thought he was just staying with one of the cousins and sleeping in one of the campers with one of the cousins or one of the tents or whatever. And, and about three days later, they realized, no, Jesus isn't here. Well, that'd be horrible, isn't it? Jerusalem is a giant city. So her and Joseph alone go back. And they look and they look and they finally find Jesus in the temple sitting around with a group of scholars and they were amazed why he taught them. They couldn't believe the wisdom he had. But when Mary and Joseph got there, Mary let him have it. What are you doing to us? Why are you here? And Jesus said, I thought you knew that I would be about my father's business. So like John the Baptist, as a boy, probably after his bar mitzvah, went to live in the desert to hear from God and be a prophet. Well, his cousin Jesus is also ready at 12 to start his ministry. He's sensing this is the father's will to begin now. But his earthly parents grabbed him by the ear and dragged him back to Nazareth. And it says that he submitted himself to them and that he grew in favor with God and men. But finally at the age of 30, when he literally uh, was seen in the culture as a man, he began his ministry. But in essence, Joseph and Mary did not catch what the father was doing and they hindered Jesus' ministry for quite a long time. Secondly, we see Jesus now at the beginning of his ministry, once again, for the second time, when he's 30 years old, in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. 
And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that, what does your concern have to do with me? He's cut. I'm doing my ministry. I'm no longer at home. I'm no longer under your authority. So what does your concerns have to do with me? My hour has not yet come for the revelation of him being who he is, the Messiah. His mother said to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. (laughs) She knew that he would submit to her even if it wasn't his will or, if you would, God's will. Mary was a woman who put Jesus in a very awkward place. She was out of line, demanding him at this time. We know he was there with his disciples doing his ministry, not trying to help out a family wedding situation. But because his mother put him on the spot, overstepping God's will, ignored Jesus' words and desire, she went right past him. And put him on the spot saying, whatever he says to you, do it. He did submit to her. But I don't believe it was God's perfect will that his first miracle would be turning water into wine. Rather confusing miracle. I think it would have been raising the dead or cleansing a leper, right? That would have been the first miracle. But as confusing as that miracle was, Jesus did it. And As awkward as she made the situation, God was still glorified, even though she made a horrible mistake. The next story we see is in Matthew chapter 12. In verse 46 to 50, Jesus is now a few months, maybe a year into his ministry. He's getting a lot of popularity. And if you read the chapter, his family is quite concerned that things are getting out of hand. They're hearing things that he's saying that just seem to be sort of crazy, if not true. So Mary, with the brothers, finally feel like they got to go and have a family meeting and sit down and see if they can straighten Jesus out a little bit. And in Matthew 12, verse 46 to 50, so while he was still talking to the multitudes in the middle of his sermon, I mean, imagine if my mom came to the door and said, Brian, come over here right now, family meeting. Here, we got some chairs in a circle. We're going to have a talk. Jesus was in the middle of a sermon. Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. And he answered and said to one of who told him, who is my mother? Who, is, who are my brothers? He stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here is my mother and my brothers. He explains it now. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus makes it clear that his connection with this human family was over. In the sense, he was not just a man, was he? He was God in human flesh. And his ministry now was the focal point. 
But Mary, like a lot of Jewish mothers, think their kids should do what they say until the day they die. And here she comes, interrupting, overstepping again. We know from John 7 that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him and were very angry at him. They were not coming to to have a nice, well, should I believe in you or not, um, discussion. But nevertheless, Jesus makes it clear, I want to honor my mother who gave birth to my human flesh. You, You know, she didn't give birth to God. There's only one who's eternal, and that's God. She gave birth to his human flesh. She was an oven chosen to do the baking. She wasn't the power behind it. She wasn't some vessel of holiness that made him holy because it came from her. These are all lies. She was simply a human vessel to give birth to raise him out of childhood. But then when he began his ministry, which should have started at 12, she was supposed to step back. But now here he is over 30 years old, and she is still trying to direct his life and even his ministry. And Jesus says, nobody has an intimate connection with me a special way except one. And that everybody who does the will of the Father. And sure enough, Jesus makes it clear. I call you brothers, he says to his apostles. I go to my Father and your Father when Jesus was resurrecting. We are all children of God. We are all the brothers and sisters of Christ. There is no greater intimacy. Mary is not up in heaven in a special, you know, mansion. She, like all people, are rewarded for what they've done in obedience and in faith to God. So there was no more special preference. So a word to all mothers. It is confusing at times how to deal with your kids, especially as they start getting older, especially as they become adults. As somebody asked me a while back, when do you quit worrying about your kids? Is it after 18 or 19? I'm like, I don't know. Mine are all in their 30s, and I worry more now because the stakes are higher. They're married. They have kids. They, you know, the mistake they make now devastates a lot of people. So actually, I, I think I worry and pray for them more than I've ever done. But I think it's clear we've all made mistakes in the past. We're going to make probably a mistake or two today. And we'll definitely make mistakes in the future. God's not looking for perfect vessels, willing vessels. And so I think it's quite encouraging to see Mary not be perfect. I think it's totally human for her not to get it, right? She raised this kid. She changed his diapers. He spit up all over her. She had to scold him with all the other five-year-olds for kicking up the dust and messing up the neighbor's laundry. And now he's claiming to be God? Yeah, that would be a very difficult thing, even though she knew that she was a virgin when she gave birth. The bottom line is God loves us. 
God loves all you mothers in particular. He's going to work with us. He accepts us. We, he's going to walk us through whatever we're going through with our kids today. The task of mothering or grandmothering, it's never accomplished, is it? I mean, your role, your role changes, but maybe your role as you get older, maybe just prayer. That's all you can do. But that's a lot, isn't it? God hears and answers prayer according to his will. Well, the third point I want to make is Mary never did stop being faithful to Jesus with the love of a mother, right? We see in John 19, verse 25 to 27, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. <laughs> it's crazy how many Marys were there at the bottom of the cross, isn't there? When Jesus therefore saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved, John, the Apostle John, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Looking over to the Apostle John. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, that disciple took her to his home. Now we see a mother at the foot of the cross. We're not talking she was four or five feet away. She was there getting blood on her, watching her precious little baby boy in horrible, horrible torture. She was crumbled at that cross. She fell down to the depths of moaning and welling and begging God to end this hell. And the prophecy of Simeon in Luke 2 says this, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And now she's feeling that spear pierce right through her soul. The cross cuts deeply into Mary's heart. Despite the pain, however, Mary was there. Right? She stayed there. She was the mother from the beginning to the end. A mother called by God never relinquishes her job. Today we can find mothers like this. You find mothers like this in the halls of children's hospitals, mothers in rehab centers and counseling offices, even in funeral homes. The crosses are different for every family, but frankly, the crosses usually come. There may be divorce or disease or death. There may be harsh words, unacceptable actions. There may be a season of tough love and possible long nights of weeping and crying out to God in prayer. I, I just want to make a note. Without exaggerating, it's hard to go a week without a parent telling me about how their kids have cut them off. No longer will see them. Won't let them see the grandkids. It's an epidemic. I, I just wondered that, so I Googled it on YouTube, and sure enough, they're classifying, creating new words to, to, to try to help understand this epidemic. But just yesterday, talking to a family where the son and the son picked up the kids and said, we're cutting you out, and they don't even have a way to contact them. They don't even know where they're at. 
heartbreaking. It's, it's something I, I see on a regular basis. Of course, in the last days, it does say this, that families will betray one another, that love will grow cold, and father against son, and son against father, and et cetera, et cetera. Through it all, when a, a woman becomes a mother, when a man becomes a father, there is an instant realization that a day will come when pain will dominate the picture. Through it all, mothers are called by God never to relinquish the job. No, never. There's nothing like a mother in our grandmother's prayers. Amen? I think God gives a special place in heaven for mothers and grandmothers' prayers. There's nothing like a mother's love. Yes, a mother's love to the very end. The next thing is, the mother's greatest gift to her children is your pure faith and giving them the word of God throughout their lives. I want to connect a few dots here in 2 Timothy 1.5. It says, Paul talking about Timothy says, and when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. Timothy, you have this sweet faith. But you know, it's not something that happened to you as you matured in Christ. It was like a second language gifted to you as a baby, as a child. There was this sweet, genuine faith that I, I saw in your grandmother. And then when I met your mother, it was identical. And then when I met you, it was identical. There is this sweet faith. And also from the knowledge of God's word from these two same women. In 2 Timothy 3, listen to this in verse 12 through 15. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And boy, do we not see it coming. Like a tornado, it's coming. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We live in these times, do we not? Verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing that whom you have learned them. So you first think, oh, well, you learned them from the Apostle Paul. You can't get better than that. No, it wasn't. It happened in his childhood. Look, look in verse 15. And that from childhood. Now, let me explain this Greek word real quick. This is the Greek word brephos. There's other works in the Greek that talk about a young child. Brephos is an infant. The oldest is a toddler. Paul wasn't around in those days. He is saying from infancy. When Chuck Smith, as in the womb, was about to die, and, and anyway, his mother cried out and gave him to the Lord. When he was still in her stomach, she spent hours and hours and hours reading the Bible. And Chuck says, as soon as he could talk, he had tons of scripture just memorized. It was just like he looked at him once and they were so familiar, he could quote them without looking at him again. 
But she continued in the crib. She continued as he grew to just read the scripture, discuss the scripture. And he, his take was, before the age of 12, I was prepared to be a pastor through my mom's Bible college. And this is the same thing with Timothy. He's saying from your childhood, from your infancy, as a young toddler even, you have known the Holy Scriptures and are able to make you, these Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What's going to save you now through persecution, times of persecution? What's going to save you through these evil imposters that deceive and keep trying to deceive? You're, you're, you're not going to be moved. Not because of what I taught you, but because of what was put into your soul throughout your earliest of childhood. So Mary had a chance to see Jesus' entire life on earth. That's a unique gift. She was there when he was born in the manger. What a story she had to tell about that, right? Well, we had to shovel a little cow poop out of the way first. And then we had to get them to quit eating out of the manger so we could make a little makeshift bed out of that. Didn't really have any extra clothing, but we found some rags that they wrap around the hooves of the horses and the cows when they're trying to help them. We just used every little rag we could find and wrapped Jesus up like the, the leg of a horse. She was there when he was crucified, up close and personal, listening to Jesus through a face that was beaten so bad, Isaiah 52 says it no longer looked human. Nails through his body, crown of thorns, blood dripping everywhere. She was there, up close and personal. She was there at the resurrection. Isn't that great? She and some other ladies were going to go out to anoint Jesus' body, and they discovered that Jesus had already resurrected. And then after his resurrection, they all saw him. Do you imagine how wonderful those 40 days with their resurrected Jesus that would have been? And then when that 500 saw him ascend into heaven, guess what? She was there. She went from there, all 500 of them went to the upper room to pray until the day of Pentecost had fully come. But not everybody obeyed. One guy says, I got to get home. The other one says, I, I, I've got cows to take care of. The other one says, I got a field to take care of. Hey, I got a business to run. Hey, you know, I've been praying here for several days, but I, I can't keep, stay here any longer. And then once people started leaving, just a flood of people started leaving. And the 500 who were commanded by Jesus as he resurrected into heaven, as he rose into heaven, 380 of them didn't have the persistence. Only 120 stayed. But one of those 120, guess what? Was Mary. So now she not only saw the birth of Jesus, now she is there when the church is being birthed. The power of the Spirit's falling. She's speaking in tongues and glorifying God. There's a cloven tongue of fire above her head. She was there on the birthday of the church. 
We never hear about her after that. That's the end of Mary in the Bible. What a gift from God to live long enough to see parents make sense of their parenting, especially being able to see it to the end. Some parents do live long enough to see God's plan for their children. Some do see God's work in the lives of even their grandchildren. Some surely will never see God's full plan until they go into the halls of heaven. Well, guys, each idea of this message today comes from the Bible. There's a lot more wonderful truths about mothers in the Bible. There's a lot of truths about parenting. Matter of fact, I don't know how anybody can stay married without the knowledge from God's word. I really don't know how parents could be great parents because they, they need, the kids need spiritual, solely strength without the word of God. So the, the greatest task for a mother is to know the whole Bible and to read it daily and absorb it. And then what God gives to her, take that, that manna and give it to her children and continue to do that even into their adult years. My wife sends out to the kids in a group text, we have verses and words of encouragement on a regular basis. If you're going to be a godly parent, be sure to immerse yourself in God's word and fully commit yourself to the calling that God has called you to as a parent. If you're a kid here today and you do have a loving parent, I would say this to you in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. And then it says, honor your father and mother. Now, some people say, well, that, that sounds redundant. You just said to obey them. Yeah, but it's, honoring them is different than obeying. Honoring is to show them reverence and to show them kindness and to show them goodness. I think especially in the old age. I honestly, when I look at this, over in 1 Timothy, he, he, he says there as well that if there's a widow who needs to be taken care of, she, one, never had her own children. But another job description, she still had to raise up children. So even if you're a single mother here or a single lady here doesn't have kids, you can raise up children right here in Sunday school. But then it also says, if, somebody, if some children won't help their, their parents in their old age, he says they're worse than an unbeliever for not doing that and putting the burden over on the church to take care of them. So I really think honoring the parent doesn't really happen until we become adults. And it says, which is first commandment with the promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Here's my final verse in Proverbs 23, 25. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. Kids, is your lifestyle rejoicing your mother? Is the way you treat her rejoicing her heart? Is the way you're honoring her something that rejoices her? If not, need to repent and change the ways. Lord, thank you for your word today, and we do ask that you would continue 
to speak it deep and deep and deep into our hearts. And today there's so many that there are strains for their kids and there isn't a celebration like there should be. Please comfort these ladies and heal them and help them. You be uh, the great comforter in this day that should be full of joy, but it's sorrowful. There's many mothers who have lost children and it brings great remembrance to that loss. Comfort them in their bereavement. Lord, pour your spirit upon all of us and give us wisdom to raise up kids, whether they're our kids or not, to help speak into children's lives, to love you, to follow you, to serve you. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen.